The following audio is via a Skype call. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Glad you are with us, and we are glad to be working once again, as we do almost every Saturday, with he who prefers to be called simply the, the dude. dude. That would be Michael Robert. Mike, how are you today, sir? Doing well, guys, and a good morning to you both. How's the weather out there? We're looking pretty gray. Uh, it's going <laughs> to chill down here. Um, yeah, we got some weather moving in, like tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday. Freezing level is going to drop. I don't think we're going to get any snow in the lowlands, but uh, we ought to get some in the mountains where we desperately need some. Uh, the ski <laughs> ski operators thought they were golden this year because we got a lot of early snow in October and haven't had a lick since then. So. Uh, uh, open by Thanksgiving? Nah, I don't think so. Hopefully, we'll get dump, uh, get a big dump, and they can open uh, yeah, within within first part of December. The other thing that we have talked about with that snow in the mountains is that's what creates the water in the summertime. You got it. And, and you need that drinking water. Well, that and uh, it's also uh, provides uh, stream flow, which is very important to uh, all the the fish and the wildlife. Uh, really important stuff. So. Uh, the uh, the levels are worth watching because when it dries out, as you know, it uh, then things get really dicey on many different levels. But we're not at well, that stage. And taking care of the earth and all of the things that we're talking about here among the three of us are exactly what we're going to be talking about today with our guest, who was wonderful enough to come in studio. Catherine LaFond, intuitive energy healer, health coach, and chef has served as a healing arts practitioner for over 25 years. The mother of three grown children, she devotes herself to celebrating the sacred in everyday life. And that little bit of a bio comes from the back of her book, Seasoned with Gratitude, 250 Recipes and Blessings Celebrating the Greater Nourishment of Real Food. Welcome to Manson Mitchell once again, Catherine LaFond. How are you today? I'm good, Suzanne and Gary. It's a pleasure to hear your voices again. Oh, likewise, and really thank you for making the trip over there. Don't you live on Bainbridge Island? I do, and it was a gorgeous ferry ride. We actually had some pretty clear weather coming over. Oh, I love that. That's great. Now, Bainbridge Island is gorgeous to look at. Not always the best place for cell phone reception, as I understand it. That's correct. I thought I'd best not take a chance. And comes over to the studio in Factoria. That's, yes. I'm impressed. I am truly <laughs> impressed. And you've written a very, of course, it's been out for a while. Uh, you've written a very impressive book, Seasoned with Gratitude, 250 Recipes and Blessings Celebrating the Greater Nourishment of Real Food. You know the question I have, Catherine, let me just start with Get this. Get it out of the way, Karen. And that <laughs> is that I find it with this, particularly on show days, there's the preparation, there's the show, there's the aftermath, there's some editing to be done. And at the end of the, all of that, I find it too easy too often, Catherine, to just go for fast food precisely because it's fast. And so I eat my share of cardboard and plastic and whatnot. There are all those things that don't constitute real food as you might define it. And I know that's a bad habit, but it's one that I have found especially difficult to break. Well, you're not alone, Gary. I, the more I read about what conditions people are living under, 
and the stress levels, it makes it extremely hard to get back into our kitchens. And yet that is where I think we find our greatest health and our connection to the planet that we live on. You know, Catherine, um, Gary and I are semi-retired. We're not retired because we have this radio show twice a week and all the work that goes into it during the week to make it happen. But I do have more time on my hands than when I was working a 40 to 50-hour week outside the home. And when I did that, I did have a tendency to be too tired to cook, and so I just grabbed things on the way home. I find now that I have a little bit more time that I am very happy to be in the kitchen. There's much, Gary and I have moved more and more increasingly into eating better. Yes, he does grab fast food from time to time, but it's not a daily thing. And and so we have found ourselves having some nice food at home. We have fruit trees where we live in Florida and usually we'll sit with a, a little bit of water here to keep our our uh, selves hydrated. But today we've got fresh orange juice. Picked the oranges off the tree and juiced them this morning. And I am very aware of how wonderful that is to be able to go from the plant that's making that right to my kitchen. And I think that's the kind of thing that you're looking at in Seasoned with Gratitude because your background is as a chef, but you have combined the nuts and bolts of making food with a much broader perspective. And that's what I wanted you to talk about a little bit uh, first off is how you came to think about writing this book, Seasoned with Gratitude. Well, it was actually during a time that I thought I was in a, a, a dark place and I was in a morning meditation and asked myself, what brings me joy? Because that's what I needed to get back to. And I realized that uh, cooking and preparing, working with the plants and animals that nourish us was truly calming to me. It connected me and soothed me. And that's where I wanted to get back to um, having raised three kids and ran the gamut that you do in and out of the car, constantly mo- on the move, um, trying to work in the midst of all that, it, it makes for a very hectic life. And I needed to get grounded. I needed to get back to um, remembering who it is that feeds us. And so initially, I wrote that book and, and took the great pleasure of it by combining my years as a chef with my knowledge as a healer and health coach. And then after writing the book and the more I work with the book, I realize it's teaching me. It's teaching me how to come back into relationship with the earth itself. It's teaching me about who actually feeds me and who I mean the chicken or the carrot. Um, the living force that is that life that's feeding each of us. So the lessons continue. And whether you are the one that gave birth to something like a book, it's interesting how it becomes a teacher at some point in your life. 
some 40 to 50 years ago, I was reading an article in a magazine about uh, the difference between artificial vitamin C and vitamin C from a plant. And they put it under one of those um, microscopes that, you know, zooms in like, you know, 5,000 times. And they, they were showing that the molecules of uh, a, a actual plant, uh, vitamin C from an actual plant, had a ring of light around it that was not in evidence for the chemical vitamin C. And that made a huge impression on me that when you have something which is natural, the life comes with that nutrient. Whereas if we're, if we're eating a bunch of chemicals, we're eating a bunch of, of dead stuff, as far as I can tell. Is that your take on it? I believe that is my take on it. And when I, when I am out to buy bread, for instance, I'm not looking for fortified bread. I'm not generally even buying it in the grocery store. I want to go to the bread store. I want uh, something that is as alive as possible. One of the words that, that you just spoke, that nutrient word, triggered in me the reminder that we have an extreme nutrient loss in our soils, in our agricultural soils, and that has been going on for 20, 30 years. We have known that we're losing vitamin and mineral content in these soils, and it's perhaps by what we think of as normal ways of farming, such as tilling, or the more modern ways of monocropping or using a, a great deal of enriched fertilizers or chemicals, pesticides. Um, so we have created this loss, and our own bellies are reflecting it in that they can't get the nutrients out of the food that we do eat. So the body is craving more and more. And it tends to place us in that um, dangerous health category of obesity and diabetes, etc. It may even be worse than that, Catherine, because um, for a long time, I've just been speculating uh, out loud that the fact that the United States has such a, a high percentage of children with autism and seniors with dementia, I have said out loud, it's got to be the air, the water, or the food. It's got to be one of those things or a combination of those things because for, for Americans to be so nutrient poor, I think really shows up in some of those uh, broad problems that we have at, uh, at both ends of the scale, both in our children and in our adults. And when you're saying that, you know, we've lost like 85% of our nutrients, even more than other places in the world, that's, that's, I think there's a correlation there between how, how sick we are versus, um, you know, in, in relationship to what it is that we're ingesting. I, you've brought up a number of points here. One is that 85% of average soil mineral loss, that was reported by the Rio Summit back 20 years ago. 
So we're really uh, at the mercy now because it's probably much worse. And I think it's a both and question in or response because when we're not getting the nutrients out of our food, our immune system uh, is even more reduced to be able to fight off the the problems from toxic air or water, um, the chemicals that are used on the food. We we don't have the defenses that we once had. I'd like to hear about these defenses that we once had. Spell that out for us. What is it that we're missing nowadays? Well, one, we're missing natural immunities, and and I don't think I want to get into that conversation quite so much, but but we are missing some of our natural immunities. We've bombarded the immune system with uh, modern medicine in one way, but also with um, thinking, as as Suzanne so acutely brought up earlier, that we could get nutrients out of this these powdered synthetic forms. And so we haven't been telling ourselves the whole truth. I see. It reminds me of when I was a kid during the uh, Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo programs. You had these guys orbiting the Earth hopped up on Tang. Tang. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's, uh, there's another version of that now with all the powdered foods that people eat. And I'll have friends say, oh, yeah, I used this special powder for breakfast, um, mixed it with water, so I really didn't have to do anything at all. I could just take it with me. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what did you eat for breakfast then? (laughs) Can you tell me? (laughs) And people don't have a clue. They might be able to say whey protein, but there's no connecting the dots. So when I was working with this book, uh, the idea that we need to get back to whole foods was really important. And I'm sorry that we still have all these diet programs that are based on um, powdered mixes as part of what we're taking in. Uh, It really doesn't remind us of who it is and what it is that's feeding us. So we disconnect from the relationship with the earth and the plants and animals. And it's, it's another way of separation in my thinking. You know, Catherine, there's the old saying, are you eating to live or are you living to eat? I have known people and Gary is one of them. He loves to eat. He likes to think about his meal, what he's going, what is he in the mood for, what he would like to taste, what he would like to look at, smell. And, and for much of my life, I was the other way around. I was not really so interested in eating. It was, it was a matter of this was something that you know I have to do in order to stay alive. But I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the food itself. It's just like, well, what can I, what can I just power down and then get on with the rest of my life? And, you know, for me, it was like 
the other people were kind of obsessed about food where that wasn't an obsession of mine. But, you know, as I, as I mature in my own thinking, I realize that it is important to think about what it is you're going to eat, what it is you're going to ingest. You know, is it, um, you know, tasty? Is it nutritious? And I, I think that there is a, a good argument to be made for thinking about what you're going to eat instead of just, you know, going to fast food or, or not actually thinking about it. Maybe you're eating the same thing every day and not really giving it a lot of thought, but you do want that variety for the variety of nutrition that food gives you, right? Yes, yes. And just thinking about food, it is the start of, the, of digestion, actually, because it gets the digestive juices going, even in your mouth, when you start thinking about food. There's a, there's a physiological response that happens. Um, I'm, I'm with Gary because I love the sensuousness of food and uh, the planning is enjoyable. But one of the factors that I keep coming back to is, are we taking pleasure in our meals? Because there used to be, and this is a worldwide um, situation, in that in past years, people sat down, they took an hour for their lunch, for instance, and really took pleasure. It was a time to connect. It was a time to have a break, and you you let down from the day, and you you really separated from the stress and the work. Um, you came into relationship with what you were eating and with the people you were eating with. And this this idea of taking pleasure in our food has unfortunately left us in many ways. Um, I was reading a, a book recently that talked about how 50 years ago even, nurses were given an hour break on their, um, in the middle of their work time, and they would gather in the cafeterias and have lunch and really have downtime together. And nowadays, we don't give them that opportunity. They're eating on the fly. They're getting just a few minutes and they are experiencing a health crisis in in that business where they're fighting against their obesity and diabetes and various other illnesses because they don't have that uh, chance to relax into the pleasure of eating. Is anybody but me <laughs> uh, appreciating the irony of what you just said? <laughs> sitting here wait a minute hold on hold on you know these are who have these experiences nurses they are in the health profession and they're experiencing that which is what now of course i mean there are hospitals and there are hospitals you know under various uh, aegises however if you're in the health professions and if you are the one living an unhealthy lifestyle there is a communications gap there is a lack of detachment and apparently now that it's being studied, and thank goodness it can be addressed there, but it sounds to me like even if you're in a health profession and you are caught up in this loop of got so little time, got to eat, got to get back to work, stress, more eating, stress, coffee, keep myself awake, or whatever little drink you take for you know energy, which I stay away from like the plague, if they're 
indulging in that to keep themselves going, that is a crisis within a profession or a set of professions that needs to be looked at closely. And it's worldwide, from what I can tell, that it, this has spread, that idea that you have to work every minute and you've got 10 or 15 minutes, so what are you going to do with it? You might need to get off your feet, so you're going to run down to the machine and grab a coffee to keep you going and some chips or something. Candy bar. Yeah, and instead of really taking the time that's needed to nourish us, this is what I'm hoping we can get back to. And also I noticed that it's the same thing when you're parenting, the the depth of what can occur when you are right there at the table with your family and you're all able to communicate and uh, be with each other and honor the food, even if the only blessing that is said is at the end of the meal when they say thanks <laughs> for uh, feeding me today. But it's, Can- it's, it's a loss. It's truly a loss. Catherine, you're talking about process when you are saying gathering together to eat and talking to one another and and making that separation between work time and your uh, restorative time. But I wanted to ask you also, what role ritual plays in food? Well, for me, it's at every step. So... In this book, Seasoned with Gratitude, I included blessings with every recipe. And the blessings are to bring us back to that place of gratitude, that appreciation, that desire to remember who and what's feeding us. And so that through that ritual, we're reconnected with the very earth that's feeding us. Um, it's It's a place... It's part of the book that I enjoyed writing the most, actually, um, coming up with these blessings. And I think ritual begins when I go out to grab a bunch of carrots out of the garden. Or it begins when I take what I bought from the grocery store and put it in the refrigerator and think, mm, now I have all this goodness that's just waiting for us to see what we're going to do with it. To, to transform it, transfigure it, so that it becomes me and I become it. So I'm, I'm thinking of the ritual of every step and hoping to get others excited about it. I, um, earlier this year, I was um, diagnosed through a, a test that I had too much yeast in my gut, in my intestines. And so for a period of about three months or so, I had no sugar, no artificial sugar, no grains, no caffeine, no alcohol, no dairy, no fruit. I was very, very limited in what I could eat, and it was primarily vegetables and lean meat and nuts and seeds. That was what I, I had mostly. And, and my doctor in his infinite wisdom said to me that I could treat myself to one square of chocolate a night as long as it was over 80% cocoa. 
And, um, and I have to tell you, I became so in touch with vegetables of many kinds. Now, now, there were vegetables that were off limits because of the yeast. I couldn't have anything starchy, no corn, no peas. There were, there, there were still things I couldn't eat. But to have a variety of vegetables and cooking them in, in different ways so that it didn't seem like I was eating the same thing every day was quite the challenge. And not only did I get rid of the, the yeast problem, but I actually lost 25 pounds. And, <laughs> and I think if people were in touch with the value and the, and the, the nutrients of good vegetables, and I was buying myself good quality organic vegetables because I thought if I'm going to be that limited, I want the best. I don't want to eat, you know, just any old thing. So in, in cooking up some really good vegetables, it was interesting how my body responded to that. It not only healed itself, but I shed extra pounds I didn't need. And, and you know, I my, my relationship with food this year has changed more than any other year in, in memory. And, and, you know, partly it came about from a, a health a diagnosis, but you don't need to have a health diagnosis to make that kind of a change. Actually, I think m- many of us do, unfortunately, but it sounds like you went for the gold in this and you healed yourself of likely more than just the yeast issue. Look at how you reduced inflammation in that process and your body was able to lose so much weight in just a three-month period. Um, I had had an experience when I was very ill in 2002 and 2003 where candida yeast issue was part of it and had to be on at least that strict of a diet that you were discussing. I also lost quite a bit of weight, but I had some bigger issues to heal at the time. And uh, it, it sounds like in your situation, you went to, to treasure what you were allowed to eat and really make it something potent and positive for you. And I, I just applaud where you went with that, Suzanne. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And because it was this year and because it's very fresh with me, I did not go immediately back to the dark side when it was <laughs> it, when it was over, but you know, they said you can introduce those other foods in very small amounts and hopefully the yeast will not return. So, you know, I I have gone back to the things that were on the no-no list. I couldn't I don't see where I could have maintained that kind of a diet permanently. So, you know, I do have, you know, the occasional corn chips and, you know, rice and other things that I was completely unable to eat for a while. But I like the idea of food as medicine, food as healing oneself and Luckily, Gary and I have a doctor who is completely behind that. And, you know, to that extent, we end up taking a lot of supplements because he he feels like, um, you know, good quality supplements that are food-based 
are uh, life-giving and healing. And, um, and so you can do this with food when there is something that is amiss in the body. But you have to be aware of what that is and then, you know, research it or, or figure out what it is that you need to do that is going to heal you. But I like that idea of food as medicine. And, and I would say that's probably one of your things as well. I think I need to give my book to your doctor. He sounds like a, a guy that would appreciate it or a woman that would appreciate it. Dr. Fred Harvey, yes. He integrates medicine beautifully, and I know that he would enjoy talking to you. You would be on the same wavelength for sure. Of that <laughs> I have no doubt. We need to take a break, Catherine. I do want to get the name of your book in here. Seasoned with Gratitude. I love the title. Seasoned with Gratitude, 250 Recipes and Blessings Celebrating the Greater Nourishment of Real Food. Our guest who came across the big waters, from Bainbridge Island. I am so thrilled that you came in from Bainbridge because it was just a good thing for you to do. You're providing us with good studio quality and great conversation. We are in your debt, Catherine LaFond. We'll be back with more conversation with Catherine on the other side of this lone break, this short break, and then more of Manson Mitchell at Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. The holiday gift-giving season is upon us. That means it's not too early. <laughs> You're a little bit early, like about between now and Black Friday, get a jump on this one. Fuel the open road dreams of special people in your life with a subscription to American Road Magazine. With exciting features, quality writing, and beautiful photography in every issue, American Road makes a perfect gift for road-tripping moms and dads gallivanting grandparents, adventurous aunts and uncles. Maybe that special friend will enjoy it too. Visit AmericanRoadMagazine.com. That's AmericanRoadMagazine.com. Click subscribe, and for a limited time, you can enter the code KKNW to receive 25% off your subscription. Manson Mitchell this week are in a word preempted. Tune in and cheer on the UW Huskies women's basketball team over the weekend. And join us in December for Rebecca Norrington and Mark Anthony. Wishing you a wonderful Thanksgiving. We are grateful for your loyalty over the last 12 plus years. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. The following audio is via a Skype call. 
Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. Put that lime in the coconut, drink it all up. You'll be fine. Harry Nielsen. Won't need to call the doctor. <laughs> there we go. Nielsen Schmielsen. <laughs> Catherine LaFond is our guest today on this Saturday. She's written a book called Seasoned with Gratitude. Catherine, if people would like to connect with you, where would they get your book? What is your website and how can they get in touch with you? So I've kept it pretty simple. My website is www.catherinelafon.com, and that is spelled K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-L-A-F-O-N-D. And I'm on Facebook with the cover of my book under Catherine Lafon. So the little, little picture there would be the cover of the book. I'm on Instagram with my name as well. And you can contact me through the website for my books, as well as if you're interested in presentations that um, would be juicy talk about gratitude and what's happening with our soils and how we can return to loving the earth and really renewing that relationship with the, the ones who nourish us. Um, also, the books are available, especially in Washington State, um, Bellingham area at Village Books and Seattle at East West Books, um, Bainbridge Island at a number of locations, including our indie store that is so fantastic, Eagle Harbor Books, and Dana's Show House, uh, quite a variety there. I'm at a loss for some of the other locations, but you can get it on Amazon and you can also get it through my website. So Excellent. Thank you. All right, I've got to ask you the big question. What are you having for Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> Please well, don't say tofu turkey. <laughs> that will never happen. I, I consider soy uh, tofu an extremely processed product, um, one that none of us can make, actually. We'd have to have quite the equipment and the bleaching and whatnot. Um, I am going to brine a turkey again this year. I am considering moving away from the classic stuffing to doing a polenta with roasted garlic and and maybe some greens in it and um, maybe having some chanterelles on top of that. I just want to mix it up a little bit, but I probably will lean into a roasted uh, ginger lamb. What is it called? Roasted beet yam. Uh, and ginger puree that goes wonderful. Yeah, yeah, again. <laughs> I just love that dish. And what I found out about it is I can can make that hot for Thanksgiving, and I can use it in days later as a dip for fresh vegetables, and it works very well. It's gotten great reviews on that. So so I'm playing with that, and I think I... I will likely fix a salad that'll add some um, red pomegranate seeds. I'm really enjoying those and exploring that right now. So wondering what you might be having this year. Um, I am not cooking this year. Gary and I will be guests this year of my brother and his family who are coming to town and um, and so I, I offered to share the meal, but we haven't yet divided up who is going to bring what to the dinner. But there will definitely be a turkey involved. 
and probably some green bean casserole and mashed potatoes and and some of the more traditional things. So that's also, it's mandatory for us to make the Costco run for, for the pumpkin a pie. pumpkin pie, the <laughs> circumference of which is about equal to an airplane tire. <laughs> and that's fine by me. I love me some punky pie, as I call it. And that's going to be our contribution, perhaps among other things. Among but others. we're pretty traditional about that stuff. What I'm finding out, Catherine, this is just by the by, saw on the news the other day that it's not so popular to have cranberry sauce anymore. There's a, a decline in the American taste for that sort of thing as a garnish or one of the accoutrements of the holiday dinners. And I thought, I always kind of liked it. My big decision used to be, do I have the cranberry jellied? They're out of the can where it comes out, <laughs> just plop, plop, and you slice it. Or do you have the cranberry sauce, you know? And that was the big decision. But I guess either way, it's not as popular as it once was. I think you're right. And and it's also fun to to add some oranges and some other ingredients nowadays, if you are going to have it, to really expand beyond that, um, open the can, slice the jelly. Uh, I have a daughter that's going to bring over a new new pie, pumpkin pie idea for our holiday. She's calling it a purple pumpkin pie. So I'm thinking there might be beets in it. I'm not too sure what's going to create the purple, but looking forward to that. And it dawned on me that maybe Suzanne's going to want to add one of those fresh vegetable meals that she's learned about this past year that you've discovered. Um, yes, yes. Um, I, I recently tried something new that I liked a lot. I was looking to make a squash soup, and I went online, and from the several recipes that I read, they said it's best to roast the squash before you make soup out of it uh -huh. because the roasting process somehow makes brings out the sugars in the squash and makes it sweeter and mm -hmm. and so the the simplest recipe was to cube the squash and toss it with olive oil salt and pepper and cook it for an hour in the oven and then take it out and mix it with um, some kind of liquid, like a chicken broth or something, to make the squash soup. Well, when I roasted this pan and took it out of the oven, I started nibbling on it. And <laughs> I loved it just the way it was, with olive oil and salt and pepper. And it was hard for me to go ahead and make soup out of it. I did anyway, because I was really wanting the soup. But I, I had to make it again a second time because I just like nibbling right out of the oven those little cubes of squash that were so deliciously roasted. And so that was something new. And, you know, it's not often that I, I find something brand new that I like, but that was one thing. So I may, I may bring that as well. That sounds yummy. Uh, another dish that I'm considering is making the cornbread recipe out of this cookbook and doing what I did this past summer where I was working for a uh, farmer's market group that was encouraging children to eat more vegetables. So it's it called Pop, uh, Power of Produce. And I took the cornbread recipe, which also includes um, corn that's just been cut from the cob. And it includes 
cottage cheese in its mix and yogurt, so it has some yummy things in it already. But I sautéed off red onion and a little bit of mushroom and then added fresh, finely chopped red bell peppers. And so the cornbread actually had a number of vegetables in it, and it Mm. enriched it completely. It just got great reviews, I have to say, both the young children and the older children that tasted it. Their parents, that does so. sound good. That does sound good. I like the I like the sounds of that cornbread with stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of stuffing good. the cornbread in a sense. If you're willing to put in the time, you can get some marvelous results. My mother relied on the stovetop version, and I was perfectly fine with it because I would only have a little bit. It was the holidays, you know, yes, I would enjoy some stuffing, but it doesn't always agree with me for whatever reason. So to just have a little bit of the like cornbread stuffing, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I just didn't eat too much, you know, two or three spoonfuls and, and I was fine. I'm curious to know where you reside on Bainbridge Island. They're near Winslow, near not uh, far from the ferry dock where you have these gorgeous homes spread out, taking up acreage, the gorgeous trees, looking across Elliott Bay to the skyline of Seattle. Do you have any local Thanksgiving and Christmas festivity traditions that are unique to where you live? Well, I, I'm not coming up with anything in particular. Uh, I think walking at this time of year in the parks is especially glorious because we've still got all these in amazing colors going on. Most of the leaves are off, but we've had an unusual fall for the Northwest with um, not so many frosts in October. So we got these brilliant orange and yellow and red leaves that are not as common here. And so that's still going on. Um, Just walking into the forest where so many of the leaves have dropped allows us to feel closer to nature and to see a little further in than we normally can. So inviting that crisp air into our lungs, taking that walk after Thanksgiving dinner so you have some room for the pie later, all of those are good things. Our community does have a, uh, I think it's called the turkey trot or something like that. There's a a 5K, I believe, that happens. And I have not participated myself, but I know a lot of people that have, so... I think looking out in your community and finding those those fun things are, are pretty special. Well, there's always going to be football on Thanksgiving. We know that. <laughs> but I also think people walking around, taking walks over the on Thanksgiving or over that weekend is also a, a tradition and a ritual. And it's one that I know our family has done. And what a value in just being out in nature. You know, you're talking about the fresh air. You, you've got the, the trees. You've got the, the grass, the, the ground underneath your feet. And when we spend so much time in an office building or inside a home, I think that it's really valuable to just get outside periodically and and be out where nature is be out where the the plants are be out where um you know something other than your you know the inside of your home is and and i know for myself i try to get out about once a week at the minimum to just do a little yard work 
I mean, a, a half hour of pulling some weeds or clipping some bushes, uh, maintaining a, a little bit of, uh, of the outside somehow just brings me so much joy to be out there that if I don't wear a watch, I completely lose track of time. And I think that's part of what you're, you're looking at with uh, real food, with nature, with the, the blessings of our, our environment, because, you know, that's where it comes from. It comes from the ground. It doesn't come from the store. It comes from the ground. And you're getting closer to the source of that nourishment uh, just to be outside and see it. You know, watch the acorns drop from the oak trees and just be where where it's really happening. And it is all around us. So true, so true. And another thing I try to do is leave something still growing in the garden for the holidays, for Thanksgiving and as, as well as Christmas if I can. I've got uh, both chard coming up that's about ready to, to cut and kale that's welcoming. I might be able to stretch that kale to Christmas. It'll depend on how much freezing weather we get. But um, I've also been known to dig beets around Christmas and uh, bring those in. But one of the things I wanted to share before we lose our, all our time here is the blessings from Season with Gratitude. Sure. Because that brings me into this closer relationship with, with uh, the food as well. This is one that is a chapter head, and it goes, When I look at my food and remember it growing or grazing and receiving the efforts of so many hands to bring it to my table, I am deeply, deeply grateful and more fully nourished. And what that, re- that blessing reminds me of in particular is how nourishment comes from so many different directions. Nourishment also comes from the recognition that there's so many hands, there's so many people and uh, uh, others involved in just bringing food to any one of us. And also that uh, what the eye sees outside, that too is one of the forms of nourishment that uh, feeds us in uh, a deeper way. I'm letting that just pod, let that sink right. in for a second or two. Yeah. I want to move into a different area here because, Catherine, you've done your research, and I want to hear your opinion on something that is going to affect the planet. Now, Suzanne and I happen to, we broadcast from Seattle, but we reside in Sarasota, Florida, so we sort of work diagonally across the North American continent here. And for us, the climate change, the global warming phenomenon, affects people who live along the Gulf of Mexico in a certain way. Florida will see a time when the sea rise is going to be a real problem for us. It's starting to create difficulties now. They're expected to get worse over time. If you want to take a projection map of Louisiana, those folks are really going to be hurting because what what ground they sit on, much of which like New Orleans is below sea level, and you're going to see disappearing land masses within the state of Louisiana because of the rise of the Gulf waters and climate change. Okay. Now, in other parts of the world, and this is where I really would like to get your insight, Catherine, desertification, which is a term I very rarely hear, but I think it needs to be acknowledged, 
desertification. You're not talking about being below sea level at that point. You're talking about the absence of water, which sustains all life, and this arid land that becomes eventually uninhabitable. People have to grow food, and there are more and more people. We don't have fewer people. We have, what, seven and a half billion people on this spinning marble and what are we going to do about that if people are actually fighting, perhaps even going to war over water? Mm, mm. Uh, this is a huge conversation, as you know, but I was able to go to the Global Earth Repair Conference in May this year up in Port Townsend, and it was truly a global earth repair conference in that we had representatives from countries all over the world, including two of the indigenous grandmothers that often speak at conferences and then since then, I've gone to a couple of other all-day uh, workshops on climate. It's, it's not looking good. And it does take each and every one of us to be on board with what we can do. And I'm a firm believer that turning our own yards into edible gardens is a powerful way to help support uh, the nutrients that we are needing in our food to, to help support the body. <clears throat> and to enliven in our own locales how many locations food can come from. So we're not reliant on receiving something from thousands of miles away. I think that's a very important part. And what we have discovered is that when we're planting trees, as we're planting trees, they start to bring in the water and uh, allow the land to hold the water again. So I think... Um, I'm a big fan of the uh, one trillion tree planting project and how badly that's needed. I have been hearing that Florida, in particular, could look like the Keys um, in another 50 years. There is predictions that we've already baked in so much CO2 into the to the oceans already that we are going to have a like a three to six foot rise in just 50 years, for instance, and we're, we have some experts coming out of University of Miami that especially speak to this question of where, what do we do and how do we look at uh, not only the least uh, scenario but the worst case scenario so that we can be prepared for both. And we do have uh, the ability to to educate ourselves and to do as much as we can to discover how can I be one that supports the shifting sands, so to speak, of uh, populations because we are going to have people immigrating from all these areas that they'll, they're going to be forced to leave. Uh, so we need to be thinking about that now rather than later. I, I'm a big believer. Oh, I'm with you. There's gentrification, which creates both opportunity and a given set of problems, particularly if you can't afford the growth around where you're living. And then there's desertification. And I'm going to look more closely at this in light of what you have said, Catherine. I remember, gosh, it's been years, but I recall hearing, this was on TV, one of those PBS documentaries, hearing about a CIA study that concluded 
and we don't even think in terms of this being real. We have our own point of view being here in America. But there will come a time when Egypt and Ethiopia, to name just one example, will be threatened with the prospect of warring over water, mm -hmm. this most fundamental resource, absolutely necessary to the sustenance of life. You'll have countries going to war over this. It's all such a complex situation there. And with what they're saying at the University of Miami and other places, we're talking about a situation that, at least in the near term, Catherine, seems to be getting worse rather than better. As you said, much of the problem or the elements of the problem seem to be baked in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we, uh, being proactive type people, <laughs> that that's going to be helpful. We have to turn our vision to this issue and uh, be problem solvers and visionaries now. Um, we're, we're thinking we're still going to war for oil, but I think that that's quickly changing to water. And we're seeing how large corporations are trying to buy up water in various locations. And there's battles over that going on right now. No, I did not know that. That's very interesting. And, of course, it needs to be said that in order to deal with the problem and having a problem-solving attitude presupposes that you can get everybody into consensus on the fact that there is a problem. We still aren't at that place. I think the scientists are. It's just the populace isn't. Politicians. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, there's a problem there. Got to reach the people and, and let them know what's really going on. Mm -hmm. and, but, uh, yeah. and hopefully the change will come from the grassroots effort. But with Seasoned with Gratitude, my focus is to have it be exciting enough that it brings our attention back to who and what feeds us, which helps us to fall in love with the earth once again, to appreciate that we only have one planet. We, we have a one-planet status versus two or three like we've been leave, uh, living at times. Mm -hmm. And we can't keep flying our food in from 5,000 miles away or maybe even 1,000 miles away. We have to look at the fossil fuel involved. We have to eliminate that if possible and start eating more locally, um, tuning ourselves into what we can grow in the areas that we live in and back potentially to seasonal foods in honoring what uh, this climate that we're, is our local climate can offer us. So, well said. And once again, you. your wonderful book, Catherine, is Seasoned with Gratitude, 250 Recipes and Blessings Celebrating the Greater Nourishment of Real Food. Catherine LaFond, it's been a delight to have you. Thanks once again for making the trip over and into the studio. It's been a pleasure. Have wonderful holidays, and I'm sure we'll talk again. I'd love it. Take care. Okay, thank you. And stay tuned for Jupiter Rising with Eileen Grimes and Doug Johnston. And um, have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. We will be back first week in December with more great guests. Between now and then, have a great start to your holiday season, everyone. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.